So Holy Spirit, we thank you for this word because it is good and it is right and it is the best. So would you open up our hearts, our minds to what you want to say to us and for us and with us? And Jesus, we will give you the thanks and the praise and we pray it in your name. Amen. Well, some things are not meant to go together, like oil and water. Republicans and Democrats, coffee in the front of my shirt. <laughs> or there was uh, this uh, time um, not too, a few months ago when uh, I was at a breakfast hosted by Union Gospel Mission. I was there to speak about a partnership we have with them, which has created a legal clinic that we're offering now to Kid Reach families, Jubilee Reach families, and the men at Congregations for the Homeless. Well, the room was full of lawyers and elected government officials, a couple other dignitaries. I was just a little bit nervous because I usually don't get to play on, in that rock concert. And uh, during breakfast, and just a few minutes before I was scheduled to go up and to speak, I grabbed my water glass to get a drink, but just as I was putting it to my lips, the water glass slipped out of my fingers, hit the edge of my plate uh, so that everybody in the room could hear that this had just happened, clipped the edge of the table, turned upside down, and dumped a whole glass of water into my lap. This did happen. I kid you not, I am not making this up. Well, I just sat there frozen, staring at this small pond of water that had just formed in my lap. In just a few moments, I was going to get up and speak in front of a whole crowd, desperately wanting to be taken seriously, but failing miserably because of the big wet spot on the front of my slacks. That's where you get it from, I'm sorry. Well, fortunately, I came to my senses. I grabbed some napkins that were around the table. I started blotting furiously at the pond so that it became just simply wet pavement. And then I put my coat on, buttoned it all up so that nothing showed, and only the people at my table ever knew. Well, like wet slacks and public speaking, some things don't go well together. And that is particularly true when we're talking about the matters of our heart, like bitterness and love especially when that bitterness is caused by someone who's hurt us or wounded us. Now, our knee-jerk reaction in those moments is to pay the other person back, to give them what they deserve. Or we can pass it off like it's not a big deal and we're okay and everything is okay. Paybacks or doormats. How do we respond to the people who hurt us? Now, we're going through this sermon series, as most of you know, that we're calling None of the Above. And when given a choice between two options, Jesus always comes up with this None of the Above answer. And when it comes to dealing with the hurts that have been dealt with us, Jesus gives us a third alternative, a way to healing, a way to wholeness, a way that's different than paybacks and doormats. It's a way to not feel like a victim any longer. Now, in the passage that we just read, Jesus is telling this parable of the unmerciful servant. And in the parable, Jesus introduces us to these two servants, one who owed 10,000 talents and one who owed 100 denarii. And the contrast between their debts is ridiculous because 100 denarii was a debt so small that you could actually put it in, up in your pocket. It was about 20 bucks worth of change. And the servant of the king who owed 10,000 talents, well, he owed a debt that was worth about 12 million bucks, 
which uh, essentially it would take about 8,600 people, each carrying a 60-pound bag of coins, to carry that whole debt. And if you lined them all up so they were about a yard from each other, well, then they'd form about a five-mile long line. So we're talking about a five-mile long debt and a pocket-sized debt. A little bit of a difference. Now, some of you are going, how did that guy get a five-mile uh, five long debt? Like, who was his financial advisor? Like, we need to get him on a budget and cut his expenses and sort of refinance his debt. And your mind is going, I just want to say, easy, easy, slow down, Eastsiders, it's okay. Too much detail. Don't go there. The point is that it was a ridiculous amount of money. And that particular servant had no way of paying it back. The parable is Jesus' answer to Peter's question, how many times do I have to forgive? But it's really not a parable about how many times do we forgive. It's a parable about who. Who should we forgive? And like what and how much? Are, are there minimums and maximums on forgiving these days? And why do we forgive anyway? Now, uh, when, my first year, when I was in my first year of seminary, I had to be in this small group as an assignment for a class that I was taking at the time. And the purpose of the group was to sort of support and encourage us as we were going through that first year of seminary. Well, as I started to trust those guys, I ended up sharing some things that I normally don't tell any other person about. And uh, I felt like these guys were just becoming friends, you know. Well, by the end of the quarter, uh, the group decided to disband. Uh, which was a big disappointment to me. And they said, you know, they were just too busy, schedules and such, and so they just, like, didn't have the time to meet. Well, we agreed to meet again the following quarter, um, but that never happened. Because what happened was that our relationships, we just kind of drifted apart from each other. Except one guy was particularly cold. I mean, like, I'd pass him in the hall, you know, between classes, say hello, or just try to strike up a conversation with him. And the guy would just ignore me, walk right by. You know, it was like I didn't exist, like, like we were in high school again or something. I tried to pretend that yeah, it didn't matter, but it did matter. It hurt. It really bothered me. And looking back, that experience, it, uh, it affected me so much that I never went on to develop any significant friendships with anyone that I, while I was in seminary. I sort of hid behind this excuse that I was just too busy. My schedule was too full. But today I realize that it really wasn't about the guys in that group at all. It really was about all the relationships that I'd ever had, relationships that went sideways, where people betrayed me or made me feel alone or, or just kind of made me feel ticked off at the world. You see, sometimes the things that we need to forgive are really the result of a bunch of small things, each one cutting us, each one biting us, each one growing the bitterness in our heart so that it becomes really hard for us to love and to feel loved. And as unfair as that is, the greatest unfairness of it all is to be tied to a hurtful past, to feel clobbered by the same old pain over and over again, like a videotape that got planted in your brain and just keeps replaying. You see the same painful scenes over and over and over again in your mind. Slow motion, fast forward, you know, instant replay. It's not fair. Are you with me? What is it for you this morning? Who or what has hurt you or wounded you or made you feel bitter?
Now, the main character in this parable that we read is a servant who gets forgiven but doesn't forgive. And the king's expectation was definitely that this servant should forgive, just as he had been forgiven. But the servant refuses, and he punishes the pocket-sized servant instead, because his heart, his heart is so hard that he can't forgive. And so he's just simply blind to the injustice of having that pocket-sized servant punished. That's what gets that guy thrown in jail. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus tells parables like this is to help us step back to evaluate our own lives by inserting ourselves into the stories that he's telling. And at one level, parables are meant to imitate possible real-life situations. So we can't take them word for word as exact parallel characterizations, especially when it comes to, like, our Heavenly Father. You see, earthly kings, they brood and they have temper tantrums. They put their hands around people's neck, you know. Our Heavenly Father doesn't treat us that way. But at another level, the parable is meant to ask, and through it, Jesus asks, so how are things going in your life anyway? How's that working out for you? And in this parable, Jesus wants us to see just how much bitterness and resentments, how much they bind us up and they get us into trouble. Now, that the person who benefits the most from forgiveness and forgiving is, is us. Because when we forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then we realize that that prisoner was us. Now, recently I read about a woman who'd experienced the worst thing that could, possibly, that, that could ever happen to a mother. A drunk driver in her neighborhood lost control of her car, hit and killed her son, who was just right out in front of her home. Well, for two years, she lived in this fog of a deep rage and constant deep sorrow. She fantasized about all the bad things that could happen to the man that killed her son and how that could maybe make him suffer more than she was suffering at that time. Well, after living like that for a couple of years, she began to realize that this man that had killed her son was also killing her. That she was becoming more and more angry, more and more bitter, and more and more difficult to be around. So she went to her priest, and she told him what was going on. He told her the one thing that she'd been avoiding, that the key to getting healing was to begin and move through the process of forgiving. But as part of that process, he told her that she needed to start up a local chapter of Mothers Against Drunk Driving so that they could send the message and make it known that if you choose to forgive, a drunk driver, you, it, it doesn't mean you have to put up with drunk driving. So she started the chapter, and that opened up the door for her healing. It took a long time. She experienced a lot of setbacks along the way. The pain of losing her son is still with her today. But, you know, today, she doesn't feel the pain and the rage and the anger and the desire to pay that guy back. It's all gone away. You see, forgiving does not change the past, but it gives us this new and bigger future filled with hope and possibilities. Forgiving is not for the other person. It's for us, and it's the only way to heal us and make us free from the bitterness and resentments that have limited us and imprisoned us. Forgiving is not pretending everything is okay, and it's not about forgetting either. We don't have to forget in order to forgive. And forgiving doesn't mean that we have to hug and make up and just have this great little warm kissy fest or something and be good friends with this person. 
Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Because some people are so messed up that the relationship is never going to get healed. It's just not going to fi- get fixed. But that is a, it's a different sermon for a different day. Now, there's some steps that we can take which move us away from being victims and away from the hurts of a past that's been controlling us. Steps that move us to a place of being healed and whole and free. And there's five steps. We're just going to show them up on the PowerPoint as I kind of move through those to, to help you keep track of, uh, of, of what I'm saying here. Now, the first step is this. The first step in the forgiving process is to decide what you want. Decide if you really want to spend the rest of your life with this unfair pain that's attached uh, to your past, an unfair pain that you did not deserve. Or decide if you want to move on with your life without the painful memory and the bitterness of your soul. Why put your happiness in the hands of the person who made you so unhappy in the first place? Deciding is the very first step. It's the baby step that we take to begin the process of healing. Second, begin where you are. Now, you don't have to be in a certain place emotionally or spiritually to begin the process of healing. Begin where you are, confused as you are, hurt as you are, tired as you are, angry, you know, just figuring out sort of something, something's going on, that someone or something is, is hurting you. We don't have to understand why the other person did what they did. And we don't have to understand how they could have done it. We also don't have to wait for that person to repent or to say they're sorry because some people may never get there. The longer we wait, the longer we give that person permission to continue to hurt us. Now, most of us begin with mixed emotions in the process, really. I mean, you know, we got one foot sort of along the road to revenge, want to pay that person back, and we got another foot along the road to forgiving. And depending on what time of the day it is, we may be going in any one or try to go in both different directions. We're all a bag of mixed motives, every one of us. We want to forgive, but we want revenge and to pay that person back. We want to love, but we also hate. That is why forgiving is a decision, not just a feeling. And it begins where we are. A third, write some verses down on a 3 by 5 card. Write them down about God's love for you or His promises about justice, forgiveness, healing, and the rewards of being faithful. Carry those around with you. Read them in the morning when you get up or, you know, memorize those and memorize, spend some time memorizing right before you go to bed. But let the truth of what those scriptures are saying change the lies that are associated with your pain. Fourth, pray and hand over. Like ask Jesus to release you of all your bitterness, all your anger and resentment, and the darkness that has infected your soul. Hand all that stuff over to him. Just visualize yourself doing that. See yourself bringing that person to Jesus and then leaving them there. For Jesus to deal with them the way that Jesus wants to deal with them, not the way you want to deal with them. And then ask Jesus to help you forgive them. Say it. Be as specific as you possibly can about what happened and why you're forgiving this other person. And as you do, just take that whole thing and hand it over to Jesus. Now, this church has this inner healing prayer ministry. Pastor Terry Tripp is, sort of heads that up. And if, if she can in any way help you through this process, she would love to talk with you. And I encourage you to call her, set up an appointment with her. 
Also, one time that you won't want to miss is the prayer and worship night that's coming up Tuesday, October the 25th at 7 o'clock. It's a time to just come to worship, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life, bringing healing and health and wholeness. That's Tuesday, October the 25th at 7 o'clock. And yes, this is a plug. <laughs> Decide, begin where you are, read Scripture, pray and hand over, and then the last one is prime the forgiving pump. See, feelings often follow actions. And to keep moving forward, we need to act in a forgiving way. So as much as you can, and as the Lord leads and gives you the strength to do, ask Him to bless that other person, to do good to that other person, to bring healing and wholeness to that other person. Now, if this is a friend or it's a work colleague or a family member, then you can prime the forgiving pump by breaking the silence. You know, that deathly silence when everybody's seeing. Just break the silence. Say hello. Or ask them how they're doing. Just start up a brief conversation with them. But we know that forgiving is going on in us when we can start to think well of the other people around us and when we can start sort of treating them or relating to them in a positive way. So those are the five. To decide, to begin where you are, to read Scripture, pray and hand over, and last, to uh, prime the forgiving pump. Now, I realize this can come off sounding really slick and silly and kind of simple. Like, hey, everybody, five easy ways to forgive, you know. Forgiving is anything but that. It takes a long time. It's hard work. Sometimes it takes months or even years. So give yourself permission to take that long. There's a lot about forgiving that I don't have time to say today. I just want to say if you do feel stuck, please talk with one of the pastors from our church or seek the help of a qualified professional. And ultimately, the thing about forgiving is that it is a miracle. It is a work of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit works in our heart and delivers us from the bitterness that has bound us. Antoine Routiazeri is the visionary behind the Center for Champions in Rwanda. And during the genocide... Uh, some of Antoine's family was brutally butchered and murdered. And for years after that, Antoine fought against feelings of rage and resentment, bitterness and deep sorrow. And all of that limited his ability to restore and to heal the Rwandan people as a leader. Well, finally, he decided to deal with that stuff head on. So what he did was to sort of uh, check, check himself into a hotel, to start reading scripture, praying and fasting for a whole weekend. He wrote down the names of every person, every perpetrator that had killed one of the members of his family. He prayed continually for each one of those people over and over again, asking blessing over them, asking God to do good to them, to heal them, to forgive, and to carry out whatever justice needed to be carried out, whatever God wanted to do, not what Antoine wanted to do. So he prayed and he prayed and he prayed for each one of those people until he felt free. And then when he felt freedom around a name, he'd just simply kind of crumple that thing up and throw it in the garbage can, and he'd move on to the next name. When the weekend was over, and he'd prayed for every name on his list over and over and over again, Antoine felt this amazing, sweet release from all the bitterness, the anger, and the pain that had bound him. And it was out of the crucible of that experience that he emerged as a national leader against this prevalent evil that had destroyed the Rwandan people. 
God has used Antoine to bring reconciliation between Hutu and Tutsi people, to preach and to minister to the um, perpetrators of the genocide. Antoine has coached and witnessed to members of uh, the leadership in Rwandan government, including the president and his cabinet. And he has kind of developed these programs like the Center for Champions, which has brought healing to Rwanda. You see, deciding to take control of his pain, Antoine began where he was, bitter, angry, resentful, but wanting freedom, wanting to be, wanting to get set free and to forgive. So he read his Bible, he prayed, and then he primed the forgiving pump by praying blessing over the people that perpetrated and killed his own family members. Forgiving them made him stronger, not weaker. Made him freer, not more bitter and bound up. And God healed him. Now, there is a part of this parable that really bothers me. It might bother you too. It's the part where the king reverses his decision and he decides not to forgive the five-mile debtor after all. Apparently, the message is we can be so hard-hearted in life and live such ungracious and merciful lives that we don't get forgiven, which, if you think about it, is a scary thought because there is a little five-mile debtor in me. I need mercy. I ask for mercy. But then I don't show mercy to the people that hurt me or upset me. And then it's in those moments that I realize that I'm so far from the person that I claim to be. And I wonder if maybe there's some five-mile debtor in you too. But God has always known that about us. He's always known that about us. And as crazy as it may sound... He knew that 2,000 years ago when He sent His Son Jesus to take all of our rage, all of our anger, all of our resentment, all of our selfish, judgmental, sin-sick ways and pay the price for all of that when He gave His life for us on the cross. He canceled our whole debt, a debt we can't possibly pay back. We don't have the resources to do it. He paid for it all. Every little bit, even the secret stuff, not a trace of it is left because you and I, we've been set free. And he did it for one reason. He did it so that we could enter into the love relationship that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that we could experience the greatest, deepest, most profound emotion True love. But true love costs. It costs Jesus on the cross, and it costs us every time we get our heart broken or get disappointed. And in order to give and to grow in love, well, then we need to forgive and to let go of our resentments, to set other people free of our desire to pay them back. And, you know, I think that's what, uh, that's what Jesus' point was in this parable. That bitter, resentful, revengeful people ultimately don't want to forgive because they slowly lose the capacity to love and to be loved. So they resist God's love and forgiveness. And they end up in prison like Five Mile did. The truth is, 
that every time you and I choose to forgive, we're being remade into better, bigger, whole people. Our hearts are just become a little more compassionate and a little more able to give and to show love. Because when true love matters, so does forgiveness. So Lord Jesus, we are amazed at the cost you were willing to bear for us on a cross. And Jesus, you took it all, a debt that was so big, so wide, so expansive. There's just no way we could pay it all back. And yet you did it freely because you love us and because you wanted to share the love relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with us and because you wanted to set us free to do and to be what you've created us to be, to love. So Lord, would you release us from the stuff that holds that love back, that pushes it down and binds it up, particularly those we need to forgive. Would you give us the grace and the mercy to let it go? Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.